51 of the Dad Presents. We got a great holiday edition for you today. We got a presidential candidate on the show, Mr. Zoltan Istvan. Okay, guys, we got him back. He's the author of the fascinating novel, The Transhumanist Wager. Pick it up and read it if you haven't already. And now he's running to be the Republican nominee for president against Donald Trump. Please welcome Zoltan Istvan. Zoltan, how's it going? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back. Good to have you. Um, so, yeah, you're pressed for time because you're, you're running for president. I'm sure that keeps you very busy. So I guess the first thing I want to ask you is um, running for president is like a monumental task that you kind of, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I've not done it, but I would imagine you got to put everything else in your life on pause for a minute, like work, family, finances, everything. So um, why are you doing it? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I guess uh, probably like all the others out there, I'm doing it because I think we can make America better. And I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, if I was elected, uh, I would be able to make those changes. But, you know, the, the honest truth is that uh, I'm running as a Republican. And so I probably have very little chance in the primaries against uh, President Trump. However, we're on a number of major state ballots. We could cause some damage. We could cause some uproar. There's there's no question that we can technically win as well. So you never know what can happen between now and the next uh, kind of eight weeks when, uh, you know, Super Tuesday comes around. Right. Okay. All right. So what what are you hoping to accomplish in this run? Well, to be honest, I think the biggest thing we're trying to really accomplish is we're trying to make the Republican Party more open-minded. Um, I have a lot of libertarian uh, policies, and I've been kind of a libertarian forever. However, the Libertarian Party is not really together enough to make a real run for the presidency, I think, in terms of one day winning, whereas the Republican Party, of course, is. Mm -hmm. But they're rather close-minded, too conservative for my taste. That said, what I'm trying to do is get the entire GOP to say, wait a sec, what if we sort of joined the 21st century and weren't so either anti-science or so fanatically religious? Or what if we could just be a bit more socially liberal as I am sort of as a libertarian mm -hmm. um, and yet fiscally conservative as I also am as an right. entrepreneur. Right. So that's really the goal is to try to make the Republican party more open-minded so that they can join the 21st century. Cause my fiscally uh, fiscal conservativeness doesn't really go that well with the democratic party. So really it's really with the Republicans. I think it's yeah. best to plant my flag. Sure. I mean, the Republicans, I mean, that's kind of been a pillar of Republicanism is, fiscal responsibility, but they've not at all lived up to that in the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, it's been more of a, a talking point than a practice. And you're talking about, you know, being a libertarian and, and trying to go for it with the Republican Party. That's kind of what Ron Paul did, and he almost pulled it off. So there might be something there. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. They're not living up to the to their pledges. I mean, look, Trump's just uh, now the deficit something crazy in the trillions again and just higher every single year. So, you know, they're not living up to it. And, um, you know, we have actually in our policy points to try to get uh, a constitutional amendment passed that would actually force the deficit to be put under control so that it, when we talk about being fiscally responsible, as I believe is best for the country, we mean it. We're going to stick by our rules. But unfortunately, and this is, again, why I'm running as a Republican. I'm trying to improve the party just like I want to improve America. Sure. Great. Um yeah, so, you know, I read through your whole platform, and we've talked before, so I know a thing or two about you. But before we get into your platform and all the points on that, 
Why don't you give the audience who might not have heard the, the first podcast last year, why don't you tell them, give them like the thousand foot view of what transhumanism is? Sure, sure. And just for your listeners who are new and don't know, you know, I began my career at National Geographic as a journalist in the 20s, covered a lot of science issues. But really, I had a very close call in, in, a, in, in Vietnam with a landmine, and it forced me to really look at what can I do in the world to not die should I unfortunately get to that position, which, of course, we all do. And turns out there's this movement called transhumanism. Their number one goal is to overcome death with science and technology, but it's also to upgrade the human being. And so ever since that moment um, in Vietnam with National Geographic, I have been essentially dedicating my life to this movement. And now I go around um, America and the world and I talk about transhumanism. I talk about uh, getting it culturally accepted because, of course, in America, so many people are religious, about 85 percent believe in an afterlife. They may not mm -hmm. see a reason to use transhumanism to live indefinitely. But, you know, so transhumanism can be anything from brain implants to genetic editing to make it so you don't age to exoskeleton suits so a 90-year-old can climb to the top of Mount Everest. But whatever it is, it's radical technology and science applied to the human body and the human experience. And it's been my last essentially 10 years dedicated to pushing forward that movement. Yeah, it's it's exciting. You say, you know, some Christians may be put off by it because of the um, the afterlife and whatnot. I mean, let, let's be real. There's there's we're very far away away from being able to make ourselves immortal through technology. So there's got to be other ways to appeal to Christians with this type of thing. Oh, and, and there is, and I have mellowed out um, over the last four or five years, really, about this. Because I started off as kind of a strong atheist, feeling that religion had damaged society too much. But to be honest, you know, there's a lot of things that have damaged society. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there's this coming consensus that transhumanism and religion can work together for the betterment of humankind. Sure. I think so. And so... And I'm trying to say now, well, wait a sec, what are the synergies instead of, you know, battling it all the time? And it turns there out go. there's a lot of Christian transhumanists, there's a lot of Buddhist transhumanists, there's a lot of transhumanists across the spiritual spectrum. And, um, you know, there's, there's a good chance, I think, one day, I mean, if America is going to continue leading the world, and especially continue leading the world with um, being a religious nation to some extent with so many, you know, I mean, our president's religion, the, all of Congress, all of Supreme Court then I think they're going to have to embrace transhumanism to stay ahead in the world because the only other major opponent we have is China. And, hey, they're secular. They're pretty strong non-believers. So that's, I, think, I think America has to accept transhumanism from a religious point of view. And that means saying, hey, wh what is God's plan for us? Well, maybe it is to use transhumanist technology to upgrade the human being. Sure. Yeah, that could be part of God's plan. Yeah, I think that's a better strategy than, than just um, putting down religion because, well, you know, it is, an Amer it is a religious country. I mean, it's a, a religious world, and there's plenty of stuff in the movement that can appeal to religious people. And, and people who become atheists tend to be very put off by religion. They, th they think it's dumb or whatever. But those people very often get, tend to get very religious about their lack of religion. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it almost becomes like a religion in itself, the atheism. So uh, 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 the approach yeah. of, of finding common ground seems to be a good one. Well, no, and, and, and that's unfortunately, you know, that's how, what I figured out when I got to be know a lot of the atheists, and that's what I also figured out when I got to know a lot of the libertarians. Everybody's so fanatical about their point of view that it mm -hmm. makes that point of view, it degrades that point of view. I think the most important point of view is one that says, well, this is what I believe today, 
but I'm willing to change or modify my ideas a little bit because I'm not perfect and I'm learning as, as I go along. And, you yeah, know, this is so sort of important. what's happened to me. I've just said, you know what? I have been, um, you know, sort of bashing Christians saying, oh, that's not the way of transhumanism. Now I'm saying, you know what? Maybe they're going to be the one of the largest components of making it happen. And uh, I, be- I better have an open mind. Right. That That sounds like a little bit of humility. And I think our country would do good with some of that right now because everybody's just dug into their, the trenches of their own beliefs, and we could use some of that. Um, I wanted to get into uh, some, you know, the transhumanism. I, I read your whole platform. A lot of the stuff I love, um, some of it not so much, but the stuff that relates to transhumanism, I wanted to start with that stuff. Um, you, you, you mentioned abortion, and you mentioned a third choice in artificial wombs. And just just reading that artificial wombs is definitely going to freak some people out. Um, after an art, first of all, how close are we to something like that? And secondly, after a baby comes out of an artificial womb, then what? So you know, this is again a great next question after the Christian question because right. there are approximately fifty million abortions worldwide, and that's one of the biggest kind mm-hmm. of conundrums like that, that Christians face. So just so you know, and your listeners know, we are about 12 to 18 months from the very first human trials of artificial wombs. Now, what? yes, we know we're there. They've already successfully done it on lambs. Right now they have FDA. They're like submitting all the paperwork to FDA, two different places, two different universities working on it in America. They're already Almost doing certain- this with lambs? Oh, yeah. No, they have already successfully done it. done it with lambs Damn. in 2016. And the success rate was over 90% on eight different lambs. So that is so oh good because what you're you're talking about is so, but they're not going to start with like 16 week olds. That that doesn't work yet. What they're going to start with is preemies about 22 to 24 weeks. Now, normally 22 to 24 week preemies end up with such severe either brain damage or die mm-hmm. um, that there has been so far no solution to giving birth to these children that early. However, the artificial womb is where these first human trials are going to go because most of these children die anyways. So it's better to try something to keep them alive. Now, again, this is where we get this really interesting kind of Christian and also very strong Catholic angle. There's a huge amount of people that are saying, wait a sec, is this a way to preserve life? It gives women a third choice. And given the fact that there are, you know, 50 million abortions worldwide, there's only 600 to 700,000 in America approximately, this radically changes, you know, because it doesn't matter. Not all women, of course, are going to want to do this. But even if 10 or 15% do it, we're talking 15 million new lives that are, from a Christian perspective, saved. So yeah. I wrote an article in the New York Times for this. It ran in the Sunday uh, print edition, which I was really excited for. And um, there's been an enormous amount of interest in this, especially because people realize, wow, this is happening in 12 or 18 months. Now we can, we might, you know, now people are starting to talk about what about the Supreme Court in 10 years? Is there going to be a new way of looking at this? And so this is a great way that transhumanist technology can bring both the left and the right together to say, who doesn't want an extra option? Because, of course, the left wants an extra option as well. It's not that every woman that has an abortion wants to do it. It just happens to be there. There's only two options. And this could be a a third way out. And so the the other question you asked is for this would be for women who don't want to have a baby, but also they they don't even want to give it up for adoption because they don't want to carry it to term. So they, they yes. take it out early and put it in this artificial womb, and then, the, then well, it goes into adoption. Yes, because the, you know, the, the, I think one of the dilemmas is when you carry something to term, 
those your body changes, you get emotional, there's all these different things happening. Mm -hmm. And then it's very hard to give up a live baby at nine sure. months. However, if you're only four months or five months, and all of a sudden, it's just a, you know, an hour procedure, less something like that. Then you, it's a very different game because at four months you haven't even really noticed that you're pregnant that much. And so yeah, amazing. And you say they're they're twelve months away from testing this. Yes, humans. yes, no, twelve to eighteen months based on the well, the every every media outlet from NPR to the New York Times, and basically this is because they interviewed um, the the various people that are running these things. I think it's University of Michigan and it's uh it's. Uh, Cleveland uh, Children's Hospital. I hope it's Cleveland. I hope it's not uh, Cincinnati. But either way, it's one of those. And just your readers can Google the New York Times uh, op-ed piece um, about artificial wombs, and it'll come right up to find out more about it. But this is this is like serious science. I mean, we're talking major universities and major um, educational and ho uh, children's hospitals have put a lot of funding into it. And the reason is, is because basically the number one killer of children under five has been this premature birth. And so there are millions of kids born like this too early. And of course, they, we just don't have a way to keep them alive. But when they go transferred into the artificial womb, like the lambs did, they have this high success rate of just developing that extra two or three weeks. It makes all the difference. So they're still going to be born preemies generally. But even those two to three weeks mean that their lungs develop, that their heart develops, that their brain develops. And that's that survival rate is what makes all the difference in those two to three weeks. Wow, man. Whenever I talk to you, I, I, I feel like we're beginning to live in a science fiction novel. It's, it's wild. Um, okay, another thing along, along the lines of that, you mentioned something about a license to parent, which I found interesting because I wrote a book, Daddy versus the Stuck Monster, and it was a comedy memoir. But I had a, parent called, uh, a chapter called License to Parent in it. And I suggested, jokingly, that most people are idiots and we should require parents to get a license before they could breed. I was kidding. Um, but you're not. <laughs> no, and of course, this is you know this is why my campaign hasn't exploded in size. Probably this singular concept because uh, everybody really thinks this is the most authoritarian thing ever. However, let me let me justify my point. First off, I wrote a Wired op-ed uh, for Wired magazine um, mm -hmm. about four years ago based on this idea. And you have to understand that there are right now approximately ten to maybe thirteen million. American kids, it's nighttime here in America, going to bed either malnourished or hungry tonight in America. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, wait a second. That's just convince me. It's, it's, I just can't see this flying with the American people. No, you're right. But and just so your listeners know, there's about 6,500 to 7,500 deaths every single day. So certainly there's been maybe 10 or 15 since we've had this podcast on 10, 15 minutes mm -hmm. of kids around the world that are malnourished. So when you think of just the atrocities, I mean, we have more kids that have died from starvation than way more than let's say the Holocaust or something like that in just the last 20 years, because wow. there's so many amount of kids around the world that aren't being taken care of. Now, is there a method to keep parents from having children before they're ready to have them? Even in America where so many children end up going hungry, don't have a roof on their head, then go to social service and maybe go into gangs. And of course, you and I and everybody else ends up paying welfare for them mm -hmm. because they didn't have the proper childhood. So we license everything in America. We license driving. Yep. We license businesses. 
This is the largest endeavor. I have two kids, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. This is the largest endeavor I've ever taken. I mean, raising a kid is 10 times more difficult than running for president. And yet there's no licensing process. You know, running for president, there is a process you have to do to actually get on the ballot and to you also got, yeah. register. You got to get a license to go catch a fish. You need a, you yes. need a license for anything. It, it, it almost makes sense. But, but what do you do? If you don't get this license, what are you, sterilizing so in, people? What are you doing? So not. In my case, I'm not going that far because I don't want to be too authoritarian as a libertarian. Okay, right. what I'm saying is I'm offering incentives okay. to all Americans who will go out and do a simple 15 minute course, and that means the 15 minute course would say something like, "We're going to give you a license because you don't have needle marks in your arms, or because you don't have a record, you haven't been to prison for child molestation, or you don't have a history of of you know yourself. You can provide food, you have a job, and things like that. And that's not, it's not even only about a job. It's just the idea." That you're not like some violent, terrible criminal. You know, beyond the starving children we have in America, we also have two to three million kids that get domestically abused every year. So I don't believe that abusers should be able to have kids. I just don't. I think most people would agree with that. I think it's very simple to say, and I don't think a homeless person should have a child. I think they need to find a real house or some type of apartment or whatever it is in order to do it. Now, I'm I'm assuming that in my world, 95, maybe 97% of Americans would know, have no problem within 10, 20 minutes getting this license very quickly. But the thing is, it's going to, those three or four other percent, that's where we're going to help those children. Instead of them being born, they're going to be waiting until their parents have a chance and then their cha- parents will catch up. But wait a minute. Okay. So you're not stopping anyone from having kids then. So the people who are no. going to go take the test. They're the people who are probably competent parents. They're, they're going to go take the test and get the incentives. And the shitty people, the drug addicts, they're just going to fucking make more stupid babies. How does it help the problem? So the way it helps the problem, okay, again, you know, as I don't want to be too authoritarian here because I'm already getting so much trouble in my right, campaign. But if What's... you're going to go with something like this, you, you, I mean, you almost have no. to, don't you? So. No, there's something else to be said about changing the culture and putting peer pressure from a community point of view and also a point of view of just the government sanctioning this kind of thing, saying, look, we want better parents. Just by doing that, you're going to put so much emphasis on people say, oh, did you get your license? Did you get your license? There might be license parties. That in itself could probably save millions and millions of kids from going to bed hungry at night. Now, maybe somebody like Trump will come after me or something, you know, much worse, of course, and say, look, we're going to say that now you can only have children if you're able to take care of them. I don't want to go that far. I'm bringing out a brand new idea, you know, and I don't want to be, I'm already. (laughs) Yeah, you're introducing this into public discourse, which is helpful, but I I don't see how it can be effective without being authoritarian. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. we, we think it kind of in terms of seatbelt. Yes, you can get a ticket for a seatbelt, but honestly, 99.9% of us don't ever get a ticket for seatbelts. The point, though, is okay. that, that it's built into the culture. We got used to it, and all of a sudden, we're going to get used to just gotcha. saying, well, you know what? We need a certain amount of money to raise kids. Otherwise, Uncle Sam's not going to let us do it, okay. even though Uncle Sam's not putting a gun to anyone's head or sterilization. It's nothing like that. It's just simply incentives, and we're going to pay people to get this license, and those that don't get a license don't get this free money. And I free you. money actually. So you're, you're kind of slowly changing normal and just making oh. it. And let me just tell you, twenty five years. I'm getting beat up all over just for even suggesting something like this. I, I, I agree it's, with I mean, you. It's pretty, nice to... it's pretty radical. It's pretty radical. Yeah. yeah it's, 
it is. And unfortunately, I wish people were more open-minded about it, but they're not. I'm, it's, it's really been the biggest problem in my campaign is everybody saying, oh, we like you, Zoltan, but you're this authoritarian that well, wants to license well, okay, everyone. Okay, so you're a libertarian, and here's the, the thing. People, more than ever, I think, don't trust government. So now you want to give, you know, the idea of giving government control of deciding who, and can, who can and who cannot have babies, that's, that's scary. They, they don't trust their government. You know, I, I think the idea is good. We have too many shitheads making babies, which makes shittier people. And then those shitty people have more shitty babies. It's a problem. But letting the government decide that scares people. Sure. In, in the original Wired article, I address this and say, well, maybe there's ways of doing something like community organizations in every single town or even some kind of institute. Like I had suggested the World Health Organization, but that is perhaps as bad as the government. So maybe there are some other ways to make it so that there could be some type of licensing program that, you know, people have to go through a basic amount of training to have children. And again, it might only be one hour long, just like getting your driver's license. But even that one hour can make the biggest difference to millions and millions of kids in America and maybe around the world. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. All right. Um, so more with the tech stuff. Um, you want to create a federal cryptocurrency. Now, now I, I love cryptocurrency. I was an I was an early adopter. I made a little bit of money on it. Back, you know, I got it in like 2013, I think. But what I really loved about it is that it's decentralized. You know, the banks can't control it and government can't control it. So why, why do you want to create a federal cryptocurrency that the government can control? Like, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of the cryptocurrency? It, it does, but it doesn't defeat the purpose of what we might call just pure general economics. The reason that the United States would have a cryptocurrency is for diversity's sake. Should something happen to money, should something happen to gold, something that we can't control, almost like the meltdown we had in uh, you know 2007 with the banks, 2008, this is when a cryptocurrency could be something that's very valuable. It doesn't need to be tied to the dollar. A dollar could be just tied to something else. It could be tied to housing. It could be tied to um, a happiness factor. I mean, there's been a lot of people that throw me some really good ideas. I think it would be probably tied to something like the general GDP output of America. But mm -hmm. whatever it is, it adds diversity in case there's a real, you know, black yeah. swan event that happens with the dollar. And given the fact that China owns so much of our, uh, you know, our, our essentially debt, there is that possibility that something like that could happen over the okay. next 10 or 20 so, years. So would this be in addition to it would be in addition to normal money and in addition to Bitcoin or would it outlaw things like Bitcoin? No, I think it would be just in addition to, okay. but it's very similar to what Facebook's doing with Libra. Sure. You know, I'm not sure Facebook really needs Libra, but it's better to have it in case that they don't see something coming in the future and that they do have it. You know, it's, it's, it's for me, as, as someone who's been involved in multiple businesses, it's diversity. I just want to make sure that I have all my bases covered because we have this crazy world of mm -hmm. AI and technology. We never know what's going to end up being the, the last currency standing or something right. like that. Right. Yeah. It's a good idea in that case. Yeah. I just, I, I, it sounded to me like giving, giving control of the government to cryptocurrency defeats the purpose of the cryptocurrency, but you're not going to replace the others. Like Bitcoin would still exist. Ether would still exist. It's just going to be an additional currency that people could use. Absolutely. And it would be backed by the United States government. So I think it would have a lot of credence just sure, for that sure alone. Would. Yeah. All right. I like that. Um, okay. So you mentioned smaller government and as a libertarian, that makes sense. Um, you, you want to reduce the size of government. And I'm a thousand percent with you on that. Like, I think that's one of the most important things we need to do. 
However, then you also come in with things like uh, you want to have UBI, which seems like maybe a necessity. You talk about open borders and facial recognition um, um, things for the government. You talk about mandatory education for all. I mean, don't all of those things contradict the idea of downsizing government? And then yeah. also, also you, you advocate for a world democratic government. Like how do those jive together? Sure. So l- let me just say I'm a libertarian for adults. People that are 18 or maybe actually 23, I'm not sure 18-year-olds are truly adults. I know they are in our legal system right now, but uh, you know that a lot of 22-year-olds are still living off uh, yeah. you know, the fat of the land sure. of their parents. Yeah. The point, though, is that, that was a when it comes last week, so yeah. <laughs> when it comes to adults, I'm a complete libertarian. I think basically then people can do whatever they want to do. However, when it comes to children, I do believe centrally planning is central planning is better than individual parents having the option to do whatever they want, including teach their children that they can hold rattlesnakes because the Bible tells them. So I, I really think when it comes to, to anything above, before 18 and maybe really 22, 23 in my mind, that's when a government can say, look, we're going to take care of you. We're going to pay your health insurance. We're going to pay for college. We're going to make you go to college. And, and the other thing about mandatory colleges, understand that It was in 1962 that the United States established that the majority of states have to go, uh, kids 18 and under have to go to high school and go Mm -hmm. to school. Now, our lifespan since 1962 as a nation have dramatically changed. Um, We're, we're, you know, the average lifespan is around 80 something now. Back then it was up 63. So already our lifespans are about 25% longer And yet our education level hasn't changed. Now, what if the transhumanist world really happens and all of a sudden we start living to 150 years? Is our education level only going to be high school? That's not the scientific society that I want to live in. I want to live in at least a society where people have had another four years of education. And there's more than just academics. I want them to go and have sex. I want them to take drugs. I want them to go and do whatever now we're college kids do. Yeah. It's it's a it's about life experience. The last thing I want them to do is to go to United Airlines and pick up bags and start doing that and get in the union and do that for the next 50 years until they retire. That's not what I want our American 18-year-olds to do. They can go to the military, they can go work in nonprofits, they can go work at startups, but I think the majority of them should end up going to college. We want to pay for it. We want them to have a crazy wild time and we want them to read a lot of crazy philosophy books. That's the best future I see for Americans. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we should all be educating ourselves for our entire lives, right? But the, the, the one issue I take with it is I just, I'm 46. I just paid off my student loans last year after I sold my business. Last year at age 45. Um, now, you say you're going to pay for it by releasing nonviolent criminals from, from prison, which I also like. Like we have way too many people in this country in prison for for nothing, really. Um, have you done the actual math on that? Does that work? Pay, paying for everybody to go to college just by tightening up the criminal justice system? It comes very, very close to doing that, and we're hoping when a lot more people go to college, the price of college will drop. Now, again, we're not talking. Columbia or Harvard or these kinds of colleges. We're talking public colleges that would be available, not very different than a lot of the community colleges except four-year programs. <clears throat> so just so you know, half the prison population is nonviolent offenders, and 
the prison system costs about four times our education system in America. Right. So if That's we release crazy. half, wow. we have a huge amount more money. And of course, my plan is there's 5,000 prisons in America. I want to start converting some of those prisons to universities and colleges. But beyond that, it doesn't necessarily, I would like everyone to go to college, but there might be some people that just can only do it yeah, from I, their I mean, internet. Yeah, really college material like does i mean do we do we need another five million kids graduating with women's studies degrees like what exactly does it mean when they're all going to go to college is there going to be is college going to change from what it is now because right now it's kind of a shithole in a lot of places (laughs) well look i i hear that from a lot of people but honestly my college experience was great and i i took a core curriculum which was like you know you studied philosophy you studied music you studied art you studied uh crazy stuff you studied the biology and the math i think no matter what happens doing that is better than going into gangs or going into walmart jobs or you know like no just working the cash register or going into whatever people are doing living in their parents basement playing video games i think under no circumstances can i see any way that this isn't better that they take more education after high school Mm -hmm. than not and we there's it's it's a pure fact that Anyone that does go to college, their prosperity, their family life, their sense of community, their sense of responsibility, and their morality, it's all improved. And that's because we teach kids how to think. The further they, we develop their brains, especially at the higher education level, the more they're going to be able to um, you know, you know, do better things. I know that, I know that was, was a true statistic at the time I was getting ready to go to college. But it seems like it's changed a lot in the, tw- in the last 20 years. Is that still true? Like the- It's Totally true. Totally true. Everything points to it. And in fact, it's the the difference in in what you make as a college grad versus not going to college (coughs) is larger than has been in the last 20 years. Okay. And yeah, so it's it's totally true. And it still holds true for the same thing. I think what's really important is people that are have college degrees end up staying married longer. People that have college degrees end up being happier. People that have college degrees end up being richer, more prosperous. It's, it's really everything combined, and that's really what I'm trying to get to is somebody who believes in we're entering the transhumanist age and maybe automation will take over work and things like that. We may not have jobs, but if we have an educated public, I think we're going to get along a lot better and people will find new things to do that really satisfy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So as a, as a, as a tech guy, transhumanist, <laughs> what about the idea that um, – I feel like it's kind of inevitable that we're headed towards like education being on the internet, like the end of the brick and mortar. Is that something you can foresee? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that would be included in my plan though. You know, like I said, one of the things I love about college is that you get to go somewhere, you get to stay in dorms, you get to have a different experience. You get to sneak out at night. I mean, you know, it's, it's an involved process. And I think every American should have that, uh, that, that, that fun and that excitement and that kind of structure. But I do see internet uh, college as something very important. Yeah, as a way to, to reduce costs, maybe maybe college becomes something more like a, a two-year process, you know, like a junior college. You go for two years and then two years online or something like that. I mean, it just makes sense economically and just the, with the way tech is going. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's a great experience and, and it would stink to, you know, have to stay home for four years and study on the internet. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, okay, related to that, um, letting people out of jail, you want to end the drug war. Now, a lot of politicians have said this in the past 20 years. I couldn't agree more. Like, I think this is the number one thing we could do to make an immediate 
positive impact on society. I mean, trying to fight drugs um, or even prostitution is just an exercise in futility. You're not, you're not going to make any headway. It would make our streets more safe. Um, and, and the government has no business regulating these things anyway. Um, is it possible to get this done? Well, you know, I have a, a decriminalization policy on on everything. I just think everything should be out in the open, and we should take the trillion dollars we spent in the war on drugs on rehabilitation. We've seen that what's happened in Portugal did it, you know, about uh, now 15, 17 years ago, and rates of drug use and abuse specifically have dropped uh, compared to Europe, where other places still have it illegal. I, I think there's no question that if you take drugs, and I'm, I'm not a fan of taxing it, but if that's something Congress had to do in order to make it legal, I would be on board for that. And spend the extra money on rehabilitation, I think there's no question we're going to do better for you. Besides the fact that we're going to release a huge amount of people from prison, you know, and mm-hmm. just so your listeners know, I'm one of those committed, convicted felons. I went to jail for $80 worth of marijuana when I was 18 years old in the great state of Idaho. Uh, Idaho. And I wrote an, an op-ed for Reason recently or about a year ago on this. It's my 25th anniversary last year of going to jail for one month for dealing $80 worth of marijuana. And what, what happened to me? Well, it made my life very difficult for a long time sure. because I was unable to get a job as a convicted felon. Yep. Luckily, I was able to emerge through these different things as a journalist. And now I use that against me. But you wonder why I'm a libertarian. I'm a libertarian because a bunch of people arrested me in the middle of the day for having a tiny bit of weed on crazy. me. Crazy. Yeah, no. The, and, the and, fact that you can even though state that now as a presidential candidate shows you that the, that the, the ball has moved on this issue. Like you can openly state that and it's, it's not a big problem. So it totally not a, is being made. It is progress being made. But let me tell you something else. Hey, they, st- they took my Jeep. They took my motorcycle. They took a ton of cash. Okay, maybe they can have the cash. But I want, I want reparations. And so one of my policies has been that we should use some of the federal land dividend for now. There's something like 10 million marijuana offenders out there mm-hmm. that, you know, even though it's legal everywhere, we need to re we need to give those people who have had part of their lives taken away and had a hard time getting a job, a little bit of reparations back to make them whole again, because I lost $20,000 in, in the late nineties. And that would be worth well over a hundred thousand dollars had I been yep. with inflation. I don't so disagree. anyways, I don't disagree. I'm, and you just mentioned the, the federal land dividend, and I, I want to get into that. But, but first, um, yeah, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I think, I think you're, you're killing it on that issue. But what, what I asked is, can it even be done? Because the reason the drugs are still illegal is because the prison industrial complex makes a lot of money. There's a lot of people making a lot of money from drugs being illegal. How do you, how do you push back against that? To, to turn the tables on it. Well, and, and that's where I'm hoping that my education complex, which would be based on a huge amount of these empty prisons, can start doing stuff. It's the exact same idea as, you know, I want to change the military industrial complex into a science industrial complex. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not interested in letting Lockheed Martin or Boeing and all these companies go bankrupt because there's no more bombs to build. There's no more bombs to build. But now they can build exoskeleton suits. Now they can buy, build new vaccines. Now they okay. can build all sorts of things. And I want the same thing with the drug industry. Gotcha. So there's a ton the of people back by redirecting them into this new thing. And we're going to give them incentives. We're going to do training. We're going to do everything we can do so that jobs just go from dealing with the drug war to dealing with now what I might be called an education war. How can we educate people so they're they're smarter? 
And I think that's the way to really move America forward. It's not taking jobs. It's not even. Ch- it's just changing the direction of whatever it is that we're applying. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. That might be a, a winnable battle when you when you frame it that way. Now, your 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 federal land time. You, you mentioned a three federal land lease. You mentioned it three times in the platform. You say you want to use that to create uh, UBI for everybody. Um, to house the homeless, and you also mention it when it comes up to getting catastrophic health insurance for everyone. So my question is, how much money do you anticipate from these leasings, and whom would we actually be leasing this land to, and for what purpose? Well, so you know, my my the the basic income I have is called a federal land dividend. Just so your listeners know, about the eleven most western states, fifty percent of those eleven most western states are empty federal land. And we're talking hundreds of, you know, millions of acres, essentially 800 million, I think, something of that nature. But the point is, it's worth approximately 150 to 200 trillion dollars worth of natural resources. Now, if you divide 150 trillion dollars worth of natural resources by 325 million Americans, you get a half million dollars. That means you have a half million dollars of equity. I have a half million dollars of equity. Every infant that was born in during this conversation in America somewhere now has a half million dollars of equity. But you and I are not seeing anything from that major amount of resources out there, despite the fact that California alone has 13 million people living at the poverty level and the fact that we have 10 million kids across America that are going to bed hungry tonight. It's wow. time for us to use our federal resources our undeveloped land and monetize it in order to take care of everyday Americans and pay a basic income. And let me tell you, from a libertarian point of view, this is the best plan. This plan, this universal basic income, unlike Andrew Yang's, does not raise taxes whatsoever. It may take a little bit longer to establish because you got to get big companies to go out there like in Nevada and say, oh, I'm going to start a nickel mine or I'm going to do some forestry out somewhere. And just so you know, my plan does not touch national parks whatsoever the eight percent of national parks uh, in this yeah, federal I think, land i think you need to put that up front because as, as soon as i heard the leasing that's <laughs> you know came to my mind like yosemite just getting overrun with from exxon uh, or something i know we're changing that very quick everyone says oh you're gonna build a walmart with yosemite i'm like no that's not what we're doing national parks are not touched what most people don't realize is that america is mostly empty literally mm-hmm. mostly empty especially the west and there's huge amounts of resources there. And if the government's holding these resources for thousands of thousands of years from now, for generations, and I keep trying to tell people, hey, in the next hundred years, we're going to be probably merged with machines. We're going to be like AI is going to be everywhere. We're going to be transhumanists. We may not need America in the same way, the, the, the geography and the landscape that we need now, but we need it today. I mean, there are 30, 40 million Americans that can't even come up with $100 to change a tire should something go wrong with their car. And there's another, you know, 50 million that have problems with medical insurance and stuff like that. We can help these people today by monetizing federal land. Yeah, I think you got a winner here. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't love the idea of UBI, but it seems a little bit inevitable. I, I hate it the way Andrew Yang is framing it. And um, I, I, I'm surprised nobody else has come forth with this idea of leasing federal land. I mean, that, that seems like well, a, a well, winner. Yeah. Let me tell you the craziness of this. Somebody has. His name is President Trump. He's been doing this exact same thing. The only difference is he's giving the money to his rich buddies. Check out what happened with New Mexico and Utah recently. He's taking federal land and parceling it out to his rich buddies. And this is why I'm saying this is such a different thing that I want to do. I want to take the money and give it back to the people. It's our birthright. Every single one of us should be paid for that federal land. And instead, Trump is taking some of these acreages out there right now. 
and handing it to these big giant companies who are becoming wealthier. Okay, it might be good that for seems, the American well, economy. Well, I mean, that feels criminal. Yeah. So way. this idea is an inf- is already in effect. It's just time to say, wait a sec. From now on, we're not giving it to Exxon. We're not giving it to Shell. We're now giving it in in a monthly stipend to people that can use it for food, that can use it mm-hmm. for healthcare, that can use it for education. In fact, they can use it for food. They can use it for anything they want. And eventually we think there's enough land out there. So at least from 25 to hopefully 75 years, we would be able to produce something around $1,500 a month at full capacity. Again, not touching national parks. And then we'd see what happens after that, because obviously some natural resources can't be replenished. But just so you know, some things can be. Forestry can, with all the genetic editing techniques they're coming up with now, there's a good chance they're going to be able to regrow trees in two or three years' time versus the 20 years that it takes now to do forestry harvestry. So there's all these different ways to actually make it so that the federal land dividend could go on ages and ages and ages. Sure. Uh, Great. I mean... I like what you talked about with uh, license to parent, right? But I think that's a hard one to win over with the people. This one seems like an easy win. I, I would be out there pounding the pavement with this message. I, we are. You know, I got to say, man, we might we might kill the licensing with parents. It's like everybody just doesn't let me get away with it. And even though I know a lot of people agree with it, mm-hmm. I just think it might be a bridge too far. And if I'm hurting my own campaign by doing, but the federal land dividend, most people are on board, you know, because they realize they're like, wait a sec, it's either you know this land or it's the 50 million Americans that are literally in poverty. Well, which do you care more about? And of course, sure. everybody says I care about the people. Mm-hmm. Yep. And especially if, if Trump's already started doing this, but just giving it to corporations, like, just switch it over, man. It's ours. Yeah. yeah, no, of course. Of course. And we're talking, like, there's so much money involved. I mean, just, you know, to take, like, just so you understand, Nevada is 96% empty land. We have yeah. the same amount of mineral resources that we have in Nevada that we have in Afghanistan. And yet, what have we been doing in Afghanistan for the last five, sure. ten years? Yeah. Spending trillions of dollars on this war. You know, they say it's for the people. No, come right. on. It's for mineral nobody, resources. Nobody even believes that anymore anyway. We have it here in Nevada, and yet we're not touching it because they keep saying oh, we're saving it for you know generations from now. But the point is, in the transhumanist future, which is literally upon us, we won't maybe we should do something with it today yep. for our own people right now who are suffering. All right. Well, I know you got a hard out. And uh, that was, we've already done 43 minutes. You said you had 40 minutes. I really, I appreciate your time. And um, voters, get out there. Um, you know, learn about Zolt. Uh, why don't you tell them about where they can learn more about you? Sure, yeah. So, you know, first off, uh, I've been writing a ton. I'm recently writing for the New York Times. So you could always just Google my name and, you know, some idea that you have. I've done 225 articles, mostly opinion pieces in the last six years. But my website is Zoltan. 2020.com. And then I also have my journalism website, which has a ton of stuff uh, on it, a ton of other interviews, a ton of great like articles, whatnot. And that's ZoltanIshvan.com. But just Google, because I think if you have a subject matter you want to find out about, I've almost certainly written an opinion article about it. And you'll, I hope you'll explore my writing a bit because it's, uh, it's a good way to find out exactly some of the ideas I have. Yeah, I've done that. And, and guys listening, do it. It's fascinating stuff. Um, I really hope you build some traction. You got some great ideas, and if if nothing more, I just I would like to hear some of this in the public discourse. I think I think we need it. So thanks for your time and 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 good luck. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. All right, man. Take care. Okay, fellas, 
And ladies, I hope you enjoyed the show. I certainly enjoyed interviewing Zoltan. He's a fascinating guy, isn't he? So listen, I'm also excited to tell you we got our second sponsor. That's right. We're growing. We're getting bigger. And this one I'm excited to tell you about. I use it. It's called Manscaped. Now listen, gentlemen, we all love when our ladies, you know, stay groomed down there. Keep it, keep it trim. Maybe even go all the way to the skin. Keep it nice and fresh down there for us. Makes for a more pleasurable bedroom experience, you know? But listen, your ladies, they enjoy, they enjoy the same stuff. You know, they want you to be trim and tight and, and groomed. They don't want no sloppy-ass, hairy Sasquatch getting in the bed with them, you know, brushing up against their soft skin with their, with their coarse man parts. So go to manscaped.com. Get the tool. Take care of yourself. Take care of your lady. Yo, B. What's happening? You notice how chill and sexy I'm looking right now? Uh, no comment on that. Well, you, you notice. Don't pretend you didn't notice. Mm, quite the opposite. <laughs> but what are you getting at? You want to know why I'm looking so chill and please, so sexy right now? Please stop talking and just tell me what, what you're <laughs> It's me undies. I'm feeling good. I'm wearing me undies. I feel good. And when you feel good, you look good. Are we really talking about your underwear right We're now? I'm talking about my underwear. I don't want to talk about your underwear. Me undies are the best underwear you can get out there. And our listeners, we got a code for you. If you want some me undies, if you want to feel fresh, if you want to look good, go to meundies.com. Use the code word friend. Buy 20 for 20% off. That's a bargain at any price. So you, you said these are the best underwear you can get? Look at me right now. I don't want to. Look at me. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Go to me undies. <laughs> do what he said with the code. Get them. They're great underwear. That's all I'm going to say about it. My nuts are so tight. I, yeah, you took it too far. <laughs> 